Today, as we continue in our sermon series in Colossians, we come to the end of chapter 2, which is the last major section of Paul directly dealing with the false teaching that was trying to entrap these Colossian believers. You know, spirituality is a word that gets applied in many differing and diverging contexts today. Many bizarre, eccentric, and even personally hurtful things are called spiritual in our world. Almost anything nowadays can be spiritual or called a spiritual experience. Why do we as humans have this tendency towards spirituality? Because God created us with a desire for worship. Because God has placed eternity in our hearts, as Ecclesiastes 3.11 says. The problem is that we as humans often express that desire in very strange and sometimes even dark ways. Even us, as believers in Christ, can be led astray into spiritual pitfalls. Christianity is full of shipwrecks as they veered off the path of God's word and into the rocky shoal of spiritual deception. See, the challenge is that spiritual pitfalls have the appearance of spirituality, but in reality are dangerous and drive us away from the truth of God's word. People who are trying to follow Christ, you and me, can fall into these types of spiritual error precisely because they are pitfalls. A pit is that is flimsily covered and camouflaged that is used to capture and hold its prey. Veering off the beaten path of God's word can lead anyone into spiritual snares and spiritual dangers and pitfalls. We, as believers, are often pretty good at identifying the big traps. It's the subtle, satanic deviations that appear righteous, but in reality draw us away from Christ. As our passage today says, these spiritual errors are only a shadow. They only have an appearance of wisdom. The three spiritual pitfalls of legalism, mysticism, and asceticism that the Colossians were dealing with are still with us today. They're still threatening to take us down and to lead us astray from a true relationship with Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be looking at the spiritual pitfall of legalism. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 16. And the scripture says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste, referring to things that, that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The first pitfall is 
legalism. It's all about following rules. What is legalism? Legalism is measuring your own or someone else's spirituality by the ability to keep man-made rules. Legalism is the measuring of your own or someone else's spirituality by the ability to keep man-made rules. I'm told that the Old Testament has 613 commandments. I counted them for myself, so I'm just going to go ahead with that number. As the institution of the priesthood grew in Israel, so did the number of additional man-made commands. See, it's a way of helping everyone keep the 613 actual commandments that are in the Old Testament. The priests started making new commands. These commands were supposed to put a fence around the actual commands, making them harder to break. In Judaism, the book where the priests detailed all of these additional rules was called the Mishnah. All they wanted to do was help the people not break the commandments. All they wanted to do was be specific. It seems so reasonable. And it often comes from sincerity. But in essence, they were saying, by obeying our man-made rules, you are obeying God's commandments. By obeying me, you're obeying God. Take, for example, the Sabbath. The biblical man in Exodus 20 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Here's the question. Here's the challenge that was presented before them. What does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? What does it mean to not labor on the Sabbath? So in trying to answer that question, the priest came up with 39 different categories of what it meant to not labor, and each category has its many rules and regulations. Can't you see that spiritual pitfall? In the desire to help you keep God's commandments, the priests laid out all of these other commands. Legalism is a substitution of actually following God's commands by following man-made rules. For example, listen to what I found on the website that teaches on how to live the Sabbath rules in today's Jewish life. They said the Shabbat laws are quite complex, requiring careful study and a qualified teacher. At first, it's often overwhelming and seems like an impossible number of restrictions. But spending Shabbat with others who are Shabbat observant will show you that eventually you too will become comfortable with the Shabbat laws. As long as you realize that becoming a Shabbat observant is a gradual process rather than an overnight transformation. You will also recognize that the wealth of details provides for a lifetime of scholarship. Even those who have been keeping Shabbat for years find that there is always more to learn on this subject. Following is a brief summary of some of the Shabbat laws you are most likely to encounter. Let's start with some basic activities from which to refrain on Shabbat. Riding, erasing, and tearing. Business transactions. Driving or riding in cars or other vehicles. Shopping using the telephone, turning on or off anything which uses electricity, including lights, radios, television, computer, air conditioners, and alarm clocks, cooking, baking, or kindling a fire, 
gardening and grass mowing, doing laundry. Does all this mean that Shabbat is somewhat of a miserable affair where we sit hungry in the dark? Not at all. It simply means we have to prepare for Shabbat in advance so that, on contrary, we celebrate in luxury without doing any of the actual work on Shabbat. For example, lights which uh, will be needed on Shabbat are turned on before Shabbat. Automatic timers may be used for lights and some appliances as long as they have been set before Shabbat. The refrigerator may be reused, but again, we have to ensure that its use does not engender any of the forbidden Shabbat activities. Thus, the fridge light should be disconnected before Shabbat by unscrewing the bulb slightly, and a freezer whose fan is activated when the door is opened may not be used. We may not cook or light a fire. So we cook before Shabbat and keep the food warm through special methods that do not violate any Shabbat prohibitions. In addition to those mentioned above, two other important categories which are not permitted are also using or touching items that are considered muksa and carrying outdoors. And this website goes on and on and on with more and more and more man-made rules on how to keep the Sabbath, on how not to labor on the Sabbath. It kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? And it blows your mind to think that all of that and so much more is what they thought that God means when he simply commanded in Exodus 20 to keep the Sabbath holy by refraining from work. Man-made rules have the appearance of righteousness, but in reality are a spiritual pitfall that actually take us away from experiencing a true relationship with God. If you read the New Testament closely, the majority of the confrontations that Jesus had with the Pharisees were over their man-made Sabbath rules. In Mark 2, 27 and 28, Jesus says in one of his confrontations with the Jewish religious leaders, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Their tradition triumphed over God's command, which only pushed them away from the very Lord of the Sabbath. And their extraordinary attempt to keep from working, to keep the Sabbath holy, they actually ended up missing the whole point, the Lord of the Sabbath. But this problem just isn't in Judaism. No, our spiritual circles have often fallen into this pitfall. Robert C. Roberts writes, there's something comfortable about reducing Christianity to a list of do's and don'ts, whether your list comes from mindless fundamentalism or mindless liberalism. You always know where you stand, and this helps reduce anxiety. Do and don'tisms has the advantage that you don't need wisdom. You don't have to think subtly or make hard choices. You don't have to relate personally to a demanding and loving God. You don't have to relate personally to a demanding and loving God. Man-made religious rules actually separate us from relating personally to God. We no longer have to deal with God directly. All we have to do is follow these rules. I'll make God happy if I follow these rules. Now, make God sad if I break these rules. So relating to God becomes all about obeying certain rules. The rules are elevated at the cost of a real relationship with Christ. One commentator wrote, Legalism, measuring your own or someone else's spiritual ability by their ability to keep man-made rules, 
is a rigid, confining, and lifeless way to live. It's easy because all it requires is a list of rules coupled with dutiful compliance. Wisdom or the skillful application of biblical principles to life situations is unnecessary. Just comply. Legalism is not only rigid and lifeless, but it also fosters hypocritical pride. The Pharisees, ancient and modern, prove that. A focus on conformity to a code can cause one to forget things like arrogant pride or smug judgmentalism or anger and a host of other dark sins that never seem to make the list. Another commentator said, Legalism is the religion of human achievement. It argues that spirituality is based on Christ plus human works. It makes conformity to man-made rules the measure of spirituality. Believers, however, are complete in Christ, who have been provided complete salvation, complete forgiveness, and victory. Therefore, Paul tells the Colossians, Let no one act as your judge. Do not sacrifice your freedom in Christ for a set of man-made rules. We must all be honest with ourselves and understand that this tendency towards outward conformity as a way of showing real spirituality is a threat to each one of us. There is something within us that likes to earn God's favor. And that drive to please God and so quickly turn into a list of outward actions rather than a heart of love and obedience. Their pitfall is our pitfall. Did you know one of the most startling statements Jesus ever made is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5.20, where he says, For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard for us in our context to grasp just how startling, just how shocked and surprised the crowd would have been to hear him say this. The scribes and Pharisees were the religious icons of their day. They were the epitome of what it meant to be religious. They embodied for all to see what it meant to follow God. The way they dressed, what they taught, the way they lived, were all the very archetype of righteousness. And Jesus tells this rabble crowd of everyday Jewish people that to enter the kingdom of heaven, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. It was impossible. It literally could not be done. There was no way any one of those people could exceed the righteousness of a Pharisee. Unless, of course, their so-called righteousness wasn't really righteousness at all. Unless, of course, their so-called righteousness was a man-made self-righteousness. Unless, of course, their self-righteousness in actuality was a rejection of what God really wants. This is the biggest pitfall of legalism. It can actually lead us to think that our standing with God is based on our works rather than on God's grace. Legalism actually brings us to thinking that our standing with God is based on our works rather than on God's grace. The only entrance to the kingdom of heaven is down the road of grace and faith. The road of works and self-righteousness is a dead end. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Legalism, self-righteousness, gets our focus on sin management. Life becomes one unending battle against sin and learning sin management. Jesus, his righteousness, gets our focus on grace enjoyment. Life becomes one unending exploration of Jesus, his grace, his love, his power, and learning grace enjoyment. One is a shadow of life. The other is the substance of life. Let's take a look at the specifics of our passage today, what it says about legalism. Part of the Colossian heresy was that these false teachers were teaching that the Gentile believers had to follow certain Old Testament laws. Verse 16 describes them as food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Earlier in chapter 2, Paul deals with circumcision, and later in chapter 2, he talks about submitting to regulations. Certain laws, cherry-picked from the Old Testament by the demands of these false teachers, were being imposed upon the followers of Christ in Colossae as a way of showing that they were really great followers of Christ. That's the way legalism works. Only certain rules are elevated above others as false marks of spiritual maturity. Look at verse 16. It starts off with a very odd command. It says, don't let anyone judge you. The command isn't, don't judge others. It's, don't let them judge you. Don't let anyone apply a false set of spiritual rules to judge your spiritual life. Don't let anyone tell you to be a good follower of Christ. You have to do these certain man-made rules. Because once you agree to those false laws, you'll be judged by those false laws. The very black and white rules that were supposed to make it easier to not break God's commands actually end up being the very rules that are used to judge whether we are keeping God's commands. And before you even realize it, You've left the commandment of God and hold instead to the tradition of men. We can be so easily intimidated into following certain rules and then use those rules to judge others. Christianity is not a faith based on rules. Christianity is a faith based on relationship. Paul says, don't let anyone condemn you for not following their man-made rules. Now, why aren't we supposed to let anyone judge us? It's very popular today to say, don't judge me. As a matter of fact, it's almost universally accepted that we shouldn't let anyone judge us. But the attitude behind that worldly don't judge me has to do with selfishness. What right do you have to tell me that anything I am doing is wrong in my life? I'm the arbiter of my own truth. I am the ruler of my own morality. I set my own standards. You have no right to judge me. That false message pervades our culture. And that is not at all what Paul is talking about. There are standards and morals and laws that as Christ followers, we are eager to follow. Because as Christians, as Christ's followers, we have willingly, even enthusiastically accepted 
that God is our judge, His word is our guide, His spirit is our leader, His glory is our aim, His Son is our aspiration. This command to not let anyone judge you has nothing to do with fulfilling your own individual rights or the arrogance of demanding your own way. Paul tells us in one word, in verse 16, why not to let someone judge you? The word is therefore. Verse 16 could read, because of what I just talked about, let no one pass judgment on you. This is very important. The reason you're not to let yourself fall into the pitfall of legalism, the reason you're not to let someone apply some false, arbitrary, man-made rules to judge your spiritual health, the reason you're not to let anyone judge you is Jesus. The person, the sacrifice, the love, the death of Jesus. Look back there at verses 13 and 14. And you, who are dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, Having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The reason we don't let people judge us with a false list of do's and don'ts is because Jesus, through his death, has canceled forever the record of debt that stood against us. All the legal demands of the law he canceled By nailing it to the cross. Think about this. All the law, all our self-righteous acts, all our sin, all nailed to the cross. So that in him, we have been forgiven of all of our trespasses. Complete salvation. Complete forgiveness. The person who judges a believer, because that believer is not following their rules, is really judging Jesus Christ. Let that thought sink in in for one moment. The person who judges a believer because that believer is not following their rules is really judging Jesus Christ. They're saying that somehow Christ didn't finish the work of salvation on the cross, that somehow our own works have to be added to it. Jesus Christ is not sufficient for all the spiritual needs of the Christian. See, legalism has this insipid way of diminishing the grace, the sacrifice, the love, and the power of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you can earn favor with God by obeying a certain list of rules, then our need for Jesus is diminished as we earn it ourselves. Thanks, Jesus, for all that you did for me on the cross. But I'm not going to accept that as my standing with you. No, see, I got this list of do's and don'ts. And as long as I do all those, that's where I will find my acceptance and my love with you. It's in my action, not in your cross. What legalism is really saying is that Jesus isn't enough. Man looks at the outward appearance. But God looks at our hearts. Look at verse 17. It's a powerful verse. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These laws, these rules, these outward observances are only a shadow. One commentator said, what the Old Testament foreshadowed, Christ fulfilled. A shadow is only an image cast by an object which represents its form. Once one finds Christ, he no longer needs to follow the old shadow. Hebrews 10.1 says, For since the law 
has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Verse 10 of that chapter says that we have been sanctified once for all through the offering of the body, the substance of Christ. The shadow, the law, keeping rules, can never make us acceptable to God. Never. It is only through the substance of the once-for-all offering of the body of Christ wherein we can be sanctified. Shadows aren't real. They aren't substantive. There is no real spiritual substance in doing acts of self-righteousness. Man, do those Pharisees look so righteous. Everything about them shouted, look at me. Look at what I do. I am righteous. Jesus looked at them and essentially said, no. No, you're not. You have no real spiritual substance. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. You're just a shadow. I am the substance. The word for substance here is literally the word for body. The picture Paul is painting here is that Jesus, his very body, his death, his resurrection, he is the substance of spirituality. Throughout this whole letter, Paul elevates for us the supremacy of Christ. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. In the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. Why do we go back into the shadows of self-righteousness when we have the reality in Jesus Christ? It's like trying to hug a shadow when Jesus is standing right there. Josh McDowell famously said, Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. Well, may it be said of us that rules with relationship leads to rejoicing. As we throw off the shackles of legalism, as we abandon a rule-focused, sin-management, spiritual lifestyle, we yet embrace the reality that there are still commands to follow. We're not throwing out the baby with the bathwater, or in this case, we're not throwing out the Bible with legalism. As I said earlier, there are standards and morals and laws that we as Christ followers are eager to follow. Because as Christians, we are willingly, even enthusiastically, have accepted that God is our judge, that his word is our God, that his spirit is our leader, that his glory is our aim, that his son is our aspiration. We obey him because we love him. And he loves us. Rules with relationship leads to rejoicing. It's the joy of our lives to serve him. It's the hope of our lives to know him. It's the privilege of our lives to obey him. It's the purpose of our lives to worship him. It's the delight of our lives to love him. Well, it was a battle, a wrestling match, a test of wills. Every day at exactly the same time, Margaret would go to the bathroom cabinet, open it, take out a huge bottle of castor oil. Then she would head to the kitchen to get a tablespoon. At the sound of the drawer opening and the silverware rattling, Patches, her Yorkshire Terrier, would run and hide, sometimes under the bed, at other times in the bathtub or behind Margaret's recliner. Patches knew 
what was coming. See, someone had convinced Margaret that her beloved dog would have strong teeth, a beautiful coat, and a long life if she gave him a spoonful of castor oil every day. So as an act of love, every 24 hours, she cornered Patchers, pinned him down, pried open his mouth, and as he whimpered, squirmed, and fought with her with all his strength, she poured a tablespoon of castor oil down the little doggy's throat. Neither Patchers nor Margaret enjoyed their daily wrestling match. Then one day, in the middle of their battle royale, with one sideways kick, Patches sent the dreaded bottle of castor oil flying across the kitchen floor. It was a momentary victory for the canine as Margaret let him go so that she could run to the pantry and grab the towel to clean up the mess. When Margaret got back, she was utterly shocked. There was Patches licking up the spilled castor oil with a look of satisfaction only a dog can make. Margaret began to laugh uncontrollably. In one moment, it all made sense. Patches liked castor oil. He just hated being pinned down and having it poured down his throat. You see, folks, legalism, focusing on keeping rules, focusing on one's outward conformity is like being force-fed Jesus, feeling cornered, pinned down, just waiting for the guilt and discouragement and judgmentalism to come. You see, here's the thing. Here's the truth. We love Jesus. We don't need to be cornered and pinned down and forced to follow some list of rules. We love Jesus. In him and in him alone, we are made complete. Perhaps today you need to climb out of the pit of legalism. You need to free yourself from the trap of thinking that God only loves you if you are following some list of rules. You need to free yourself from the deception that God only accepts you if you jump through certain man-made hoops. Maybe today you just need to pray by faith. Give me Jesus. I want Jesus. I love Jesus. Perhaps today you need to take by faith Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let us pray. Father, in these precious moments right now, as your spirit deals with us, as your word challenges us, convict us, comfort us, give us wisdom, help us to release the legalism in our lives, and help us to embrace the Lord we love so dearly. In Jesus' name, amen.